This is the Young Architect Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to empowering and helping the next generation of architects become more successful. Now, let's get into today's show with your host, Michael Rasika. Welcome to the Young Architect Podcast. Today, I have with me my friend, Mr. Stephen Drew. What's up, Stephen? I'm, I'm good. I'm living the dream. It's actually uh, the night here, as you can <laughs> see, but we made it. Transatlantic in this online world. I couldn't be better. How are you, Michael? I'm pumped, man. I'm excited to talk to you. Steven, I, I talked to Jason Boyle a couple of weeks ago. You and him and Nora and all these other people are part of my new international clubhouse architecture community. And I met you on Clubhouse. You and Jason have been running these fantastic rooms. I want to talk about all that stuff. But in true Young Architect podcast fashion, let's go back to the very beginning. Back when you were younger, what inspired you to pursue a career in architecture? Well, it's a good question. So I always wanted to be an architect. I have several friends that would be like, yeah, you're always going to be an architect because I was drawing, I was doing the sketches. I remember at one point, I really kind of fancied being a doctor, but then it was just my love for designing and building that I just, I wanted to be an architect. And that was what my goal was. And I remember actually, so in the UK, you have one or two career advisors. I'm sure you have a similar thing set up. And, and actually, because I didn't want to do science, I remember the career advisor was like, you can't become an architect. And that's like one way the worst thing to say to me, because I was just like, oh, I'll show you. And yeah. so I got into <laughs> architecture school and yeah, it went from there. So I, to answer your question, you, you always have it in you. Anyone that goes into architecture, they have always had that like passion there. And I really wanted to design stuff, basically. So what did your experience in architecture school look like? So good question. So I went unconventionally because I didn't do maths or uh, science or mm -hmm. anything like that. And I was really passionate about graphic design and, mm -hmm. and, and geography, which is a really strange combination. So, I, so, in, the, so in, the, in the UK, you kind of pick the universities you want to go to. And I picked the, the University of Nottingham was my top choice. And, but to go there, you had to have three A's. A grades was like top grades in the UK. And I ended up getting AAB. It then got revised and I got to AAA, but by then I missed the boat. And so actually, bizarrely, I, and you can't make this stuff up in life. I went to the University of Westminster, which at the time was up and coming. So now it's like one of the best universities. But at the time I went there, it was a mess. My grades, you, you get a BBC <laughs> to get in. So I, like, I was really infused and you had one or two people on the course that were just like, mm -hmm. nah, I'm not sure if it's for me. And it was a really mixed bag, but that's how I got into it. And, and so actually I was in one of the best universities in the UK and it was the same things that happened to me as I'm sure a lot of your our listeners have is that I got really passionate about it. My first year I was partying as well as uh, studying. So I, I basically did all nighters, left things way too late but kind of the teacher saw something in me and was just like, you need to sort it out, but you know, we'll give you a, a two one, which is like a B plus or whatever. And then my second year, you get the balance right. And then the third year, it was much less partying and, and more work, but I had a really good career and I, and I do love it. And it was Westminster was in London. So mm -hmm. it was the first time going to London. And it's probably worth mentioning for your listeners because I'm Welsh and uh, you know, I was the guy in the village back in Wales and I went to the big, <laughs> 
London and I, you know, I was the naive guy. And now I live in London and I've been here for the last, oh gosh, I'm, I'm no longer 18 anymore. So I'm 34. <laughs> I have been here far too long, 16 years. Yeah. So, so what happened after school was over for you? So I actually, and this is one of the inspirations for what I do now, but so I actually graduated during the global economic uh, meltdown, which mm-hmm. is not too far of a, it was very similar to the current coronavirus as in. So the, eco, the economy crashed by the time I graduated. And so there was a palpable scariness about it. And I remember thinking like, how do you get a job? Which way do you mm-hmm. go about it? And luckily I have a friend who's actually bizarrely a massive YouTuber now called Will McDaniel, who is like half a million YouTube subscribers. And he's, you know, he's doing great stuff. But at the time, me and him were uh, Arctic graduates and we needed to look for a job. And so I sent my CV to 10 places. And at the time, I remember Will, he said, 10 in one day, that's rubbish. You need to send like 100, 200. I sent 300 CVs. And I remember at the time, it just completely exploded my mind because you know, it's architecture. I care about it. My project, I, I was like, I can't just send it out left, right, center. Mm-hmm. But what was really good about what he taught me was that you just got to go for it because it's the pandemic. And actually, if I said then challenging myself and sending my CV to a lot of places to answer your question, I went for a, quite a few interviews and I ended up getting into one of the top 100 practices in the UK. Wow. And at the, at the time, I didn't even know their name at the time. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but I didn't. I, I, I went through volume and in that scenario, it got me a job. So I joined EPR Architects, great practice in the UK. Mm-hmm. I, and I got lucky, um, but lucky and probability, there's a combination of both. It's because I pushed myself, I got mm-hmm. that job and they were great. They were really supportive. They're an amazing architecture company in the UK. And so, yeah, it was, I, was, I had a fantastic job during the economic crisis because of pushing myself hard. Yeah, awesome. So is that where you're still at today? No. So, so oh, we can go into, we can go into that because I worked three to four years. I worked two years in, as my part one, oh, oh, one and a half years. Mm-hmm. Then I went back to finish off my degree course. And then I worked for them. And then I decided that I was not interested. I, I felt that even though I loved architecture in some shape or form, I was not the guy who was content with doing technical drawings. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, in the end, I, I left and I went into recruitment of all things. <laughs> and so for the last seven years, because I'm totally there. So the last seven years, I did architectural recruitment. And so I joined a company which does recruitment for architects because I felt like, right, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be with people from the industry. And so for the last seven years, I've worked with companies like uh, Skidmore and Merrill is a great example, Woods mm-hmm. Baggett, Perkins and Will. I'm trying to think of one or two others which are international as well. But Skidmore and Merrill has been one of the greatest clients I've worked with. And they are transatlantic as well. So even though... For the last seven years, I haven't worked in industry. What's been good is to work with a lot of architects and work with a lot of great practices like Heatherwick Studios and Zaha Hadid. It's been really interesting to work with them all. And what's been interesting from that, Michael, as well, is that I've seen what types of architectural practices gravitate towards certain candidates yeah. or, or people looking for jobs. And it's been really interesting to see talented people get the jobs they deserve and sometimes overlooked. 
And also mm -hmm. it's been really interesting to learn how people can look for jobs effectively and get the job they want as well. And sometimes the other thing that's been really interesting is seeing people think that they want that job. They want like to go for Heatherwick and then they end up working somewhere down the road, which is really suitable towards their lives. And that's also really rewarding too. So yeah, to drop the bombshell, if you get, if you get put Revit in front of me, I haven't used it for the last six years yeah. and I would be extremely rusty, but I am technically <laughs> a part two. So if you really are down on your luck, you can hire me and I can try to do some drawings. There you go. Steven, I'm curious about the recruitment process because I don't know, I feel like I'm on uh, the receiving end of cold calling, recruiters cold calling me, asking oh, me gosh. what happened the other day when I was riding my bike, someone called me and said, Hey, I got a job at this company. Are you interested? And I said, like, how did you get my number? I don't know who you are. No, I'm not interested, <laughs> but I was curious what that looks like for you. What is that? What is the recruitment process for you? Good question. So I'll be really honest with you. It's such a mixed bag. Recruitment is mm -hmm. like, uh, you can have ethical recruiters and then uh, you can have people who just don't care. They just really don't yeah. care. They're <laughs> interested in money and, and moving on. And this is the kind of thing that when, when any, so as, uh, as there's going to be a lot of young architects here, it, you can get some amazing people which will help you with your career. But like even when you're looking for a job, you almost need to think about who and what kind of recruiters that you want to speak to because you, you really need to understand what recruitment is about. And one of the big misconceptions is, is that recruitment consultants, in some sense, will I think they will help, but you need to understand how the business works. And so if you remember with recruitment that actually you are uh, speaking to someone that's been hired by a company to find a particular role and that the, the architecture practice is looking for someone in particular and that the recruiter is looking to help the architecture practice find that person. The sooner you realize that, the better. So a recruiter is not going to be able to help if, for instance, that they, if you are someone that is in a different job title than what they're currently looking for. So you really need to, and especially when you're early in your career, you need to be in charge of your own destiny and you need to basically look for the right architectural practice for you. Recruitment consultants are good people to get advice from. In my opinion, when you're further in your career and you're looking for something in particular, and then they will let you know if they have something which is suitable or if actually at this point they don't have a role for you. So that would be my advice on how to go about recruitment at the starting point. I bet you love doing this work. You're such a people person. You get to talk to meet all these new people. <laughs> Do you know what though? It's like every other <laughs> job, right? Bizarrely, I think recruitment, I call it like the hardest. Oh gosh, I shouldn't say it. Well, whatever. We're all, we're all open here. Sometimes like architecture, I used to call, it's like a real job. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a real job. It's a real profession. But bizarrely, recruitment is harder. Mm -hmm. So I used to say it's like the hardest non-real <laughs> job, which bizarrely, because even though it is a real job, it's just a really, it's a really strange role. So you can make a, such a big impact. You can really help people out if the person wants to, or you can just not be interested. So what I would say is if anyone, again, I touched upon it briefly before, but if you're ever looking 
for someone to offer you advice in your career in terms of recruitment, you need to remember that they're hired for at particular companies to find particular people. And it's good to speak to those people, but you should vet them as well. And also, I, I, I'm always amazed that people can forget that when you're in an interview situation, it's just as much for you mm-hmm. as it is for the other company. And when you're speaking to a recruiter, it should be the same thing. So my top tip is to kind of initially test their values and also kind of get a feeling if this recruitment person is pushing you into something like, oh, you really need to do this. You really need to do that. Yeah. So it's like, well, you don't really need to do anything. And it's like when that guy called you up, it's like, well, yeah. be respectful. I'll take the call for a minute, but with respect, you know, I'll deal with you when I'm looking. And so what I always say in recruitment is I encourage people to be open to interviews, right? And because I think it's really, what I've learned though, is that it's really good for anyone looking here, don't judge a company by just the website and don't think that you just want to go for the famous practice. You should always broaden your horizons because actually you can work in an amazing architectural practice, which doesn't have the best website. But you know what? You're going to be part of the team. You're going to be involved in projects. You're going to love working with them. They might have these really great family values, which you love and appreciate, and you can make an impact. And that's where I think is that if you go to these interviews, see the role for yourself. So the only bit I try to persuade people to do is go to the interviews with an open mind. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, if you give me a call and you say, it's not for you, I won't push it because if I pushed it and it wasn't for you, maybe you join, but you're not going to stick. So it's not worth doing that. And that's where I think a young, naive recruiter will fall down because they'll more be interested in pushing you in the job. And actually what happens is you don't stick. But what I like to do is encourage people to be open to going to interviews so that they can make the decision for themselves. So for anyone listening, Mm -hmm. be an open mind, always go for an interview and just remember it's as much for you as it is for them. They might be asking a lot of the questions, but while you're there, you're going to get a feel for it. You're going to be like, I didn't like the way everyone was quiet or, you know, they felt oppressive. Or you might go and be like, I got along so well. I love it. I'm going to go there. And uh, the last anecdote that I will leave you on before we move the point on is that there was this great student in the architecture social community last year. And we did a CV review and and I got along with her and, and she was doing interior design. And, and so she had an offer in this company and it was a bit far away, which doesn't matter actually, because it was the pandemic anyways. She was like, oh, do you know what? Maybe the work's night, but there's no way I'm going to move there. There's no way I'm going to do all this stuff. And I was just like, all right, why don't you have a chat with me after the interview? Go with an open mind. Don't be like that. Don't be a negative Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> and, then she, and then she came out of the interview and was like, oh my God, the projects I'd work on is amazing and they seem so cool. I'm totally going to do it. I don't care if it's halfway around, two hours away, I'm going to do it. And I, and the, I, in my head, you know, and I teased her a bit and I went, you see, look what you're like. Now you're really happy with yourself. And I was like, well done. I'm really proud that you went to it. And to me, that is, that goes to show that you should always go to these interviews. So anyone listening, Give yourself the opportunity and go to the interview and yeah. make your own mind up. I love it. What I love about your story is how you've taken your education, your experience, your love for architecture, and you've parlayed that into something else that's not the traditional, you know, doing documents and drawings all day long and have really found your way. I think that's really beautiful. 
I wouldn't change it for the world. It wasn't the most conventional way to do things, but a bit like a boomerang is probably worth saying, Michael, and you do enjoy this year that I'm actually returning to an architecture practice uh, next week where my role will be to internally find the right people for the company, the right talent, the right setting up the right culture, making sure mm. that the whole working environment is positive, constructive, and that people join the companies in the right way. And they have to find the right people for the company culture. So I kind of, it's a bit strange that like, on one sense, I kind of left the main path of it. And, you know, once you're an architect, it's always in you in yeah. some shape or form. And so, yeah, I, I'll be back. I'll be back in the office, you know? <laughs> Congratulations on your new position. Yeah, thank you. That's really kind of you to say. Stephen, tell us about the architecture social. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more than happy to talk about that. The architecture social. Cool. So the architecture social started off in the pandemic. So I was put on furlough, which basically means that there was no work at the, or not much work in architecture during the pandemic. So what happened is everyone freaked out naturally because the pandemic came to London. We were not organized as a country. No way. And basically, sites stopped being built and, you know, architecture practices freaked out because architecture, for the most part, everyone thought you've got to be into the office. You know, it would be like, mm -hmm. how can you function? Yeah. How can you, we keep going? You need <laughs> to be in the office to do drawings. And that, of course, didn't happen, which is one of the best things about the pandemic is that we learned that we don't need to be in the office to function and be profitable, which is amazing. Because before, and to get a job in architecture, you needed to be in the office, really. But so anyways, things closed down. And so I led a recruitment team of five people and there was just not enough work on. So all my team got like put into furlough and furlough is the government scheme. So it was like, you still have your job, but you're kind of frozen in ice. Mm -hmm. And so it was all like Game of Thrones or something. We were all slowly getting frozen in the ice. And I was one of the last people to get frozen. And so I was like, no. And so, but at first I was like, you know what, I'm going to have a great time. And I just like, you know, I mean, I've got skinny jeans in the, in the, in the drawer that I can't fit in now. And I'm sure we'll sort that out <laughs> at some point. But for the first month, I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to get a few glasses of wine and I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm going to watch Netflix. And I was like, you know what, so, you know, I saw the, uh, I don't know if you want to bleep that out or not, but I was like, you know what, beep it. Right. And, and I did that for a little while. And I, you know, I had a few drinks and it was fun to an extent, but then there's a point where as all of us architectural professionals know, we have that thing in our brains where I was like, ah, I'm just not feeling fulfilled. And mm -hmm. so I felt like I needed to do something. And then also I felt like it would be really good to try to give something back. And I try and what I felt close to my story earlier is that Actually, it would be great to kind of do something for all the students, which, you know, I use the analogy of like lemons going off the cliff, you know, like, no, going into the <laughs> abyss. And I was like, maybe I can offer some advice. And actually, a bit like what I was saying earlier is in the analogy of recruiters, when they've got a role, say now you're looking for a BIM manager, they haven't got time to speak to a student. They're trying to speak, speak to the BIM managers, do all this stuff. And I thought that happens so much in architecture. Wouldn't it be great if there was a resource or an mm -hmm. area where I could kind of practice that? And so it started out that I put this community online and students got on there. And, and so it was, it was quite highly focused on getting a job, 
because that's yeah. my gig. I, I, that's what I enjoy. That's what I know. I'm not the expert on how to pass your part three architecture exam because I haven't done it. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I am a part two architectural assistant. So in the UK, that means I've done six out of seven years. Uh, so, you know, don't worry. I've been in many conversations <laughs> with people saying, why didn't you do the last year? And you're right. It's a good question. Maybe one day I will. But in terms of the architecture social, that's what it was set up to do. And then mm -hmm. I found myself not working, but being paid by the government and all this time and energy. And so I did the bit, as you will know, as a businessman, if I was like, great, so I've got the community and now we'll do a podcast. And I did that. And then I did this and I did that. And then it's all kind of grown into one thing after another. But right Wait. now we have about 400, 4,000 members. And my goal, the overarching goal of the social is that uh, students and architectural professionals have access to employers and get that conversation going and breaking down the walls and disrupting recruitment to an extent, mm -hmm. you know, changing that model. That's a driver behind it. So you can go on there and, yeah, you know, get your CV and portfolio reviewed and talk and make friends and do all that stuff but that's what it's about really amen man congratulations for starting all that you know i feel like there's such an opportunity for people to help younger people in the profession get their acts together to to, to get better jobs to interview better have better uh, resumes and cvs and stuff that's amazing how how do we find the architecture social sure so i mean anyone can sign up on www.architecturesocial.com. You can put forward slash invitation. Mm -hmm. We'll get you in without answering any questions. <laughs> I, ironically, I do have questions on there, which you'll find funny, Michael, which is to ward off uh, recruiters and stuff, <laughs> even though I was one. Yeah. But I was like, I know what the game is. We've got to make this. And you know that because you run communities yeah. as well. Yeah. You've got to keep it focused and genuine because otherwise what mm -hmm. happens is the spam starts coming in. Yep. And the distractions and the 3D visualizations, you know, and before you know it, you lose the narrative. So uh, you, you can join there. And yeah, I mean, like as we touched upon before the podcast, I'm happy to say, yeah, I really admire what you, you do as well. And I think that the bit for me is to, I got to be really transparent about what I'm passionate about and what I'm good at. And that is, because I've seen recruitment from, the behind the scenes and seeing how it works and practices as well as being in an architecture practice. The most value I can offer is that employment process. And actually, Michael, I think that actually looking for a job, is like a job in itself. It's very yeah. stressful, mm -hmm. you know? So that's kind of, that's where I get my kicks off. And I know you do a bit of that as well. And it's amazing. However, I would not be doing what you, you do. So I admire it. Mm -hmm. I can't, uh, getting someone qualified and helping them out for their first set of their careers is there's so much involved. And I think that looking for a job is important and for, you know, especially at certain times, but there's so much involved in that, as you know, isn't it? It's like getting people's confidence up, right kind of work, getting the right coach and doing the exams, which you were telling me about. Is it yeah. the ARE exams? Because in yeah. the UK, it's um, your part one, part two, part three. And, you know, part three, getting your part three or ARE is an ordeal in itself. So I admire you from a distance. So maybe if it was like, if the architecture social was a project, maybe you'd be like, you know, at the end, you'd be like one of the acknowledgements or the 
precedence. So yeah. not stolen it, not stolen, <laughs> and none of that. It's very, it's its own je ne sais quoi, but I admire what you've done. Thank you. And Stephen, I'm excited to, to have the architecture social in my back pocket because people reach out to me and they say, Mike, will you look at my resume and portfolio and give me some feedback on it? And I'll be honest, I'm, I've never been good at that stuff. I've been never been good at interviewing. I've kind of stumbled my way through that stuff in my career. And, and I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, that's when my career took off is when I started my own business. And so I've always leaned on other people to, to give great advice on those topics. So I'm looking forward to sending people your way. When it yeah, comes to- great. And I mean, a few, a few things I would say to anyone listening now is that what you got to remember is when you're looking for a job, as you touched upon there, CVs and resumes, okay, you've got to grab people's attention. And it's a very different because you need to instill your personality and all the stuff you do. But I like to use the analogy. It's we're in a bit of a Tinder culture. Swipe to the left, <laughs> swipe to the right. Netflix, it's designed so much because it knows that you're on there and you, you're going to your attention span, because there's, there's so much surrounding stuff. And the, an employer is exactly the same. They need someone, mm-hmm. but they're busy and they're distractions. So the art of a good CV and portfolio is showing your best skills and grabbing someone's attention in this busy, modern world we have. And that is an art form in its own right. It's taken me a lot of years to learn it. And I'm sure, as you know, some things that seem unconventional is works. And I think as the more you understand when someone's hiring, Mm -hmm. what that whole process is about, the better you can be, the easier you can grab people's attention. So it's even stuff like uh, a few top things coming to my head is you send in the CV and portfolio, but following up. I mean, you Mm -hmm. mentioned it earlier that someone rang you up while you were cycling. If you were looking for an architectural assistant, and they replied and they were really polite on that phone call, they would have grabbed your attention because you would have gone back and go, I've got to check out Mike's email or what have you. And then the next thing is that when you open up that CV, you need to be impressed and it needs to work and it needs to be clear and concise. Or maybe because you were on your bike ride, you're opening that up on your mobile phone and the internet's really crappy. So we need to make sure that you're showing the best of your skill set, but it's accessible and easy to read. So that's kind of the mindset. And that's what I like to, in, in, I enjoy talking about because it's, it's, as you said, it's like Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. It's his own art form in its own right, but uh, I enjoy it. So that's a, that's a little preview into my mad world. I love it. Steve, I want to talk to you about Clubhouse. That's okay. where I met you. That's where I found you. Tell us a little bit about kind of your journey through Clubhouse, how you found it, how it started, <laughs> some of the people you've met along the way. Okay, I'm going to level with you. I have really mixed <laughs> feelings about Clubhouse, okay. which you're going to laugh about because I just hosted a room and all this stuff. <laughs> so I was like, so I have two sides to me. I love embracing, techno- embracing technology. And part of the architecture social, the other thing I will say is that you know this as well, Michael, that while maybe they say you're not practicing as much anymore, you're still designing. And the way you look at your mm-hmm. business, I don't care what anyone says, you still approach like an architect. And it's the same thing with me. So in one sense, designing the architecture social and all this stuff and all the functions in there, I treat like an architect. Mm-hmm. And I found, and where I'm bringing this in is that I love technology. And like in the UK, if you're an architect, you need to embrace new technology. And so someone came up to me and I was just like, oh, I really think you should be on Clubhouse. And I'll tell you the truth. My first reaction was, 
Oh gosh, another app, another thing, another <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. I just built the whole architecture social. <laughs> Is that not enough? Kind of thing. Right. But then I was like, and then one or two more people said, to her, you need to get on Clubhouse. And like you said, you've got to be open to change. And I was like, open mind. You know, and I like to remind myself, I don't know everything. It's like, all right, I'll go on Clubhouse. And I went on. And what I was amazed about is that there's a lot of flaws with it. But one thing I like is that there are people there and they're listening. And I think that's really interesting concept because, you know, right now it's so easy to get things online. This podcast will be online. And that's great if someone's going to the commute and stuff. It's special though on Clubhouse that people are in the room and they've got to pay attention and and they've got to go on stage and they've got to wait. And you, and so it was, it's a really interesting platform. And now I play with it in a different way, as you've seen today, where I like to push the boundary a bit with sounds and mm-hmm. noises. And I like to try and explore the balance and being entertaining, but informative. And I think if you can get that down, uh, it's a great match. So I do like Clubhouse. I do think it will die. I do think the bubble mm-hmm. will burst on Clubhouse in two, three months. But that's fine because it's less about, oh my gosh, I need to be on Clubhouse. What I like is that we're talking now. We probably yeah, wouldn't have exactly. met before because, uh, you know, there's A, there's the geographical distance from us. And I know that you've got a few communities on Facebook, but I use Facebook a bit less. And, and what I find mm-hmm. interesting about Clubhouse is that you can hear people and you can formulate an opinion. So I do think it's worth exploring if for any architects out there. And the other bit I like about Clubhouse is that years ago, I would have found it really scary to do it. But what I admire is if anyone goes on the stage and talks, you're going to be a bit nervous. You're going to be a bit rusty. That is a great life skill to put yourself mm-hmm. out there. And actually, every, no one's judging you. Uh, you know, No one's judging. And everyone wants to come and participate and add value. And that's the nice thing about it. Do I think it will last? No, because we've got Facebook's copying it. LinkedIn's copying it. We're on LinkedIn. It's going to swallow it all. But that's what I like about it. And what is important, again, there's like an analogy like architecture as in, you know, if you, yeah, you know Reddit, it's not about that. It's about yeah. you understanding BIM and the technology. And what I get from Clubhouse is actually us meeting not, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, how many uh, users have I got on Clubhouse in my room? So I do like it. I am, that probably sounds a bit negative because, uh, you know, I just was set in the room setting it up. But we need to be pragmatic about these things. And you have to remember what Clubhouse is. It's a tool to facilitate conversations like an email, like a phone, like this Zoom call. And so it's great. Just remember, though, that it's a media to be used and it's how you use it, you know? I love it. I agree with a lot of what you said. I think Clubhouse, for me, Clubhouse is the first time I've seen the international architecture community come together and support each other as a community. And I mean, earlier today, you did a fantastic room and there were people from all over the globe uh, sharing insights and stories and, and having a great time. And I, I just, I think that's been a really beautiful thing for me to see. I do agree. I, I've also been in a, in a handful of clubhouse rooms where people talk about it. Like it's this, it's the greatest invention that is ever <laughs> created I, and it's cool. And I like it. And I, I think it's a, it's a medium. I don't know if it would have been as successful five years ago as it is today. But yeah, I, it's just, yeah, it's what you do with it and how you use it, I think is the most important. 
Yeah, I think it's like, let's talk about briefly young addicts. The point is, it's it's actually the engagement in there. Mm-hmm. And as you know, because you do a lot of coaching and what I'm fast learning is that these things only survive with the conversation, the participation yep. and the accountability. And that's uh, that's an interesting thing with all these tools is that, so the architecture social in a meta sense is that it's a community of people and the home of it is built in a framework, which I'll be open about mm-hmm. it, is on Mighty Networks, which is a platform. I like it because people can use it. It's really friendly. And so the heart of it is not the framework. It's the people. Yeah. And that's why, you know, in the clubhouse, it's good that we have a connection there. And, and what I like is that one or two people on the architecture social have met in real life. And there are one people, one of the, I got a message saying two people on there went for a game of tennis. And that's yeah. arguably <laughs> more, that's more real than the clubhouse, the this and yeah. that. And, and yeah. I think that's what's transient about all these concepts. And that's why I think that, I think clubhouse will die. I really do. I mm-hmm. really do. But that's okay. You know, no problem. Yeah. Was it 10 years ago? We were all on what Google Plus. Remember that? And that was the future. Google owned it. They were going to force, they were going to kill off Facebook and Google, Google Plus was going to be the thing. And I don't know. Yeah, I remember it. And it was awful, pad. wasn't it? Yeah, it, was it, just, it was just, it just didn't work. And do you know what's yeah. really interesting? And because in the UK, Facebook groups are not really used, whereas the most impressive communities I've seen in the American architecture, Facebook groups are used so much. And so that's a really good example of, like, if you go to the Reber uh, communities on Facebook, they're just not used. Yeah, no one cares. Even interesting like that, that different places, different nationalities, different geographic, you, you know, there's different tools and mediums. But the point is, at the end of the day, it's all about people talking, yeah. collaborating. Community. And that, yeah, and that's the interesting thing. And commu- community, before we move on, is such, on one hand, it's such a buzzword that I think that, <laughs> and I've been guilty of it as well. You, you, you design the website and you say, we've got to, um, we're going to call it a community. And it's like, there's a, and I think that there is a real community and you do it with what you do, but there's also a misinterpretation of the word. So I, I see a lot of Instagrammers and sorry, I love Instagrammers and I'm a friend with a few. But speaking online on Instagram, in my opinion, is not a community. Yeah. Sending something out into the never is not a community. That's an audience. You have an audience. You have maybe fans, you have people that appreciate you. But a community is actually when someone says, I'm struggling and two people help. And yep. that is to me special. And, it, and that is the bit I cherish. And it doesn't matter where it is. That's the cool bit. So yeah, just my, my random thoughts on it. Yeah. It's a word that does get, get thrown around a lot when, and I feel like people don't understand what it really means, but I think understand when a community takes on a life of its own, it can be a very powerful thing. And especially when it's paired, you know, with me, like the young architect mission is to help the next generation architects become the most successful generation architects and people can connect to that and it makes sense and they can rally around it. So. Yeah. And I think it's what people get out of it. So as in what, you know, the thing about that is that the message is that you want to champion the best out of everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all resonate behind that. And, and I think it's a really great thing, like a really great life attribute is to be a better version of yourself. It's like, it's what I try to do. I mean, yeah. I fail a lot of the times, but that's, 
what I try to do and failure is part of the whole process. And, and so, yeah, I think it's great. So I like it. There's very few communities out there and the ones that work are special. So, I mean, you kind of, after this, even talking about it, I feel compelled to write something in the social, but it's, <laughs> I do enjoy it. I do enjoy uh, being around and helping and, and people helping me. I think that's what it's all yep. about. Love it. Hey, if you're enjoying today's show, don't forget to visit youngarchitect.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and information to help you have a more successful architecture career. So Stephen Drew, do you have any advice for aspiring architects? I think, ooh, good question. So uh, it always changes over time. The things that I, I think are constant is that don't worry about what other people are doing, but hold yourself accountable and keep pushing yourself. And look, as long as you're going for the best, that's good enough to me, right? You don't need to be a architect to make a positive impact on the world. And also what I would say is that while architecture is a great profession, remember it's what you get out of it mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, you know, when you're looking for places to work, Try to find places which really appreciate you being there because you can have a better quality of life and you will make an impact in different ways. If you do want to chase the SO, and like SOM is a great company, Headworks is a great company. Um, what I'm on about with these though, it doesn't need to be the household names where you can have a great career. Mm -hmm. And actually, a lot of the most amazing people I know at companies like Skidmore Owens and Merrill, they went to a lot of smaller architecture practices first. So the bit that I would say is try to get any preconceptions out of your head where you're going to work and just be open with it. But the bit that you do want to take accountability for is your own drive and passion. But remember, though, at the same time, you're going to get days where you feel down and that's OK. The bit of advice and the bit that I would encourage, though, is that I really admire people who pick themselves up and move on. I've had businesses that have failed in the past. And I think that's instrumental to when things work now. And we touched upon like the architecture social earlier, but mm -hmm. the architecture social is a combination of all the ideas I've had over my careers. And a lot of that is things failing or just seeing things that I wish I could have done. And I, you, I remember them and now I've had a chance to do it. So you, I think that, you know, Failure is a big, important part of it. Don't let that make you stop and keep going. Just keep going. I think that having that drive is admi admirable, admirable and commendable. And you, yeah, do it, do it, but do it for yourself. You know? Love it. So what do you know today that you didn't know back then? Oh, Whoa. Oh, do you know, you laugh. At, and I can, on that note, I'll be really honest. I, I remember when I left architecture, I had a great experience at EPR. I, though, started to doubt myself on how good I was. And that's one of the reasons that I went to uh, recruitment because I was like, oh, I'm not too sure how good I am. And I'm good at conversations, good with people. And that was true. And actually, what I learned is when I look back now, I've seen so many CVs that I was all right. I could have got a job elsewhere. And I wish I had known that, but you can sometimes put yourself in that box. So don't doubt yourself too much. And yeah, again, 
things that I had learned now. I've seen people do really well that haven't got the grades they want in university that have gone on to be associates and directors. And it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. what really matters is that people are persistent. So while I think if you can get a great grade, amazing, good for you. But that's what I would say is that I've learned that actually it doesn't sum up your whole future. And a bit like that story we said at the start, the career advisor told me I could never be an architect. And I, I kind of was. <laughs> now I've done my own thing. So don't let yeah. anyone tell you what you can and can't do. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I've seen the, some of the people I went to school with that you know weren't the best students are, I've seen them become some of the most successful people I know today in the profession and then vice versa. Some of the rock star, amazing architecture students sometimes didn't make it very far right after school was over. So, yeah. You know. So what's one book that changed everything for you? Oh, okay. Oh, this one, you really caught me out here. I love these questions. I'm sorry. It's because you sent me the questions. I should have read them, but you'll get a more genuine answer. <laughs> so I, a great book is actually, there's a few. So I, Enjoy the book that's been really helpful is how to win friends and influence people. That's yeah. such a good book. And that, that is, is bizarrely a lot of it is actually talks about the act of kindness. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that I like in there is treating everyone the same. So I really believe in that, whether you're talking to the MD or a receptionist, yep. you know, everyone are people and it really matters. So that's a really good book. The other one I like is of a sense of impetus is uh, life's a pitch. And I really believe that. I really believe that everything's an opportunity. You should give it your all. And that uh, what I've learned is that sometimes, uh, a good example is sometimes I won't feel like doing something. Or I think, you know, like tonight, I was tired, okay? And you, you know this because I messed up my emails. So I had one of them days <laughs> and I didn't really uh, like fancy doing the clubhouse tonight, but I'm glad I did because it was fun. And actually... I lifted myself up. So by having that attitude of everything's important, it really helps. So I really like the book, Life's a Pitch. And actually, mm-hmm. just to quickly interject one tip that I learned from it, and I agree, is that sometimes, if you notice when some people do presentations and they talk and they go, my project is, and they read the notes and they go, my project is, <laughs> I mean, that's so unengaging. And what I like about Life's a Pitch is that having real conversations unscripted from the heart because you know what you're talking about and you're passionate about yep. it and you're connecting with someone to me is much more engaging. And that's one of them eureka moments that I had reading that book. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so true. How to command a room and by not saying you need to listen. It's about being so passionate about something and direct and clear to the point about why you're passionate about it and why this meeting is important is actually really engaging. So that's uh, one of the, uh, the other book that I liked. So uh, sorry, it's not Libskin's buildings and stuff, but it's all relevant in the business yeah. of architecture. More important. Yeah. Love it. So what's your favorite resource, product, or gadget that you can't live without? I would love to say it's not a mobile phone, but the mobile phone is like the blessing and the curse. Yeah. So I am the guy that like, wakes up in the morning and I load up my phone and you know what? <laughs> it's good to take off the phone because I feel like yeah. throwing it out the window or whatever, <laughs> but that's the real answer on what I use the most, but the it's bit that I really, yeah. yeah, but it's a, sometimes it can be a bit like a waste of time. So it's a, that's yeah. the blessing and the burden. 
the best skill that I learned, because uh, you talked about gadgets. So it's actually my computer. So my grandfather, bless his soul, at the time when I was a kid, he encouraged me, I was a bit crazy looking back, to play, uh, to go on computers, and to type on the keyboard. And I was like, oh my gosh, grandpa, this is so boring. So he would get me to type. And actually, I got really fast at typing so I could touch type. And I turned out to play video games and I play World of Warcraft. And, you know, I was an, I'm an absolute gamer geek. And actually from that, I started learning websites and mm-hmm. that got to do the architecture social. And so I think that a really good skill set is, you know, it's less about the phone, but mm-hmm. the bit that I like from it is using the tools to learn stuff. So actually learning web design is one of the better things that I've done. But last bonus answer before you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the guitar. Uh, oh, I love, I love my <laughs> plants, actually. Plants really cheer me up. Uh, I did that. That's actually artwork that I did years ago. So I like designing as well. But yeah, guitar is relaxing and I love plants. So maybe my plant is my favorite object right now. It brings me joy. Good stuff. So what's your best time-saving trick? Okay. So I, again, unconventional answer. So I see, and I admire some people online who are productivity kings and queens, and you get all these YouTubes and they're like, look how organized I am. And I've got a database for a database of a database. So the downside is I make, I, I like, I've got, a sh- I know I've got a short attention span. So like when I read the email you sent earlier, I'll be really honest. I skimmed it. And then I, and then I clicked the calendar link. And if I read the yeah. email, I would have got the right one. So <laughs> the downside is I need to be, in some sense, have a sense of organization. But in another way, I'm not a list person, okay? And so bizarrely, that frees up all my time because I'm not like listening to a list. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and so actually, I think that there is something really freeing about not overly organizing stuff and not doing it. Maybe I should get the balance a little bit more so I don't mm-hmm. click the wrong calendars, <laughs> but that's what I like. So in terms of productivity, don't overdo it and think about what you're being productive of. So, yeah. okay, if I've got a deadline coming up, it's good to structure some time. But also, like with the architecture social, if I say that I need to do something, I get, and, and I, I need to do it in my heart of hearts, if I want to do it, I'll do it. And so mm-hmm. what I find is that I have afternoons where I go, I'm going to work on the architecture social, but I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. And so last night, I know I should have posted social media, but in the end of it, I just totally changed the whole podcast because I was like, this one looks so much better. And probably two people will look at it and go, that's nice. And it maybe it wasn't the most useful bit of my time, but I did it for me and I enjoyed it. So the key to being productive, in my opinion, is not over doing stuff, mm-hmm. following your interests. Yeah. And, you know, the creative design process, it, it's not organic. It's not linear. You know, it's there's all these twists and turns. And I hear you on that. So what's the best way for someone listening to connect with you further? Cool. So you can, you can find me on LinkedIn. I will be on Clubhouse, I guess, but we'll see where that goes, Michael, isn't it? I think, yeah. like, I'm, I mean, I'm on the, the best thing is just to find the architecture social and, and I will be there. So I will be there. But what I encourage, and this will be really interesting. So for anyone listening to this as a good life lesson and a good task, just drop me a message and just say, 
I like the podcast or maybe Steve, you talk too much or I really like what you've done. Just drop me something and I'll just maybe write something quick back. But isn't that nice? Just send me something crazy. And so I'm out there. Stephen Drew, Architecture Social, find me. And if you message me and say, I heard what you said, I found you, and this is what I want to say. And you say something or you say, oranges. If you met the first person that messages me and says, oranges, I will, I don't know, I'll do something. I will, I will announce your name to the world <laughs> as the orange master. But we will see if people do that because often in life, I find that some people listen and some people go, okay, and they don't. But first person that says to me, they're the orange master. I will make a shrine in your honor in the architecture social. There you go. <laughs> I love it. And why don't you message all the people back that, that weren't the first with their name? This person beat you to it. Yes, I will do that. Or maybe there'll be a list and I'll, and I'll yeah. send it to you, yeah. Michael. Yeah. In a month's time, I'll send you the list and we'll okay. see if it's two or it's 200. It will be our social experiment. Send me the list and we'll post it on the blog of this, this podcast. podcast. People will think we're losing our minds, but there'll be a purpose to it. And if people say, I don't know what you're on about, you go, you didn't listen to the episode and that's okay. There well, you go. And I would say to get on Clubhouse and follow Steven and, and Jason in the Architecture Social, what is the, the Architects Global Alliance. These, these two guys have been hosting great, fantastic rooms. What was today? It was, what do you love about architecture? Let's talk about the positive. And it felt so good to hear people from all over the world sharing their passion for architecture. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I think like, um, again, it was good. It was good to do that. And it was surprisingly therapeutic for me as well. Because mm -hmm. I was like, right, I've got to lift the tone up. I don't want to be the Grim Reaper. Yeah. But actually, I thought it would be great for people. And it was, hopefully. But I got something from it. And it's that saying what we did before. Of I walked away from it. This evening going, oh gosh, I'm tired. I've missed my podcast and stuff. Yada, yada, yada. But by having a frank, open conversation and going out and having a giggle, then, you know, we had a giggle in the room, set the tone for our podcast, and then we could just have a free conversation. So, and that all came on the back of it, of pushing it rather than being negative or I going, I'm fed up with this or that. And I can't be bothered doing the calendars. They're confusing. And, or me going, like, I don't want to go on Clubhouse. So, that's attitude's not going to get you anywhere in life. So it's just like, just crack on with it and have a giggle. And uh, yeah, if anyone uh, sees my rooms on the architecture social, I like sound effects because why not? I'll do one sound effect. Yeah, do it. Then. There you go. You got a little horn. There you go. We got Love one it. on there. Great. Steven, thank you for sharing all this with us. It's been, it's been fascinating learning more about you and, and everything <laughs> and your passion. And thank you for helping young people figure out their job situations and, and help them point them in the right direction. It's so important. And, you know, I'm going to be recommending Architecture Social to a lot of people, uh, you know, moving forward because, you know, I think you're doing a great job. Well, you're a gent, Michael, and I know you've got a lot going on, but if you ever want to do something in the social, we can do Inception. You can add the young architects in the social yeah, and all yeah. this stuff. But <laughs> so it's, I like to use the analogy. To me, it's a bit like a studio, which changes, and you'll get this, that actually yep. the people in the website and the use of it always changes, and I'm always up for ideas. So if someone messages me about the oranges, that's cool. But if someone has an idea, I'm all for hearing it. So thank you for having me on. And we'll see, maybe one day we'll meet in person. But for now, it's been a privilege to be internet podcast friends. <laughs> <laughs>